0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament, the front part, to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number six. If you don't have a Bible, there is one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that one and... In the front part of the New Testament, turn to page 4 and you would be at Matthew chapter 6. There are two particular movies that my wife Janet and I are fans of, and I have to say especially my wife Janet, and they are the National Treasure movies starring Nicolas Cage. And the first one came out in 2004 where they're on the search for the treasure of the founding fathers that goes all the way back to the Revolutionary War. And then there was a second movie, National Treasure Book of Secrets, that came out in 2007, where the treasure they are hunting for is the City of Gold, the Cibola, a Native American treasure. And I understand that there's supposed to be a third movie coming out sometime in 2011 or 2012, and I don't know. They're going to have to find another magnificent new treasure to find. I don't know where they're going to dig that up. But those movies, we enjoy watching. They have mystery in them, there is intrigue, there's adventure, but of course, the core of it all is the thrill of seeking to find a great treasure. And I believe that deep inside us all, we are intrigued with the idea of being a treasure seeker. But there seems to be a notion that exists, I think, in the Christian world, and that is that if we're spiritual, it would really be wrong to be a treasure seeker. I mean, that just seems to be out there. If you say, I'm committed to seeking treasure, many people would say it doesn't sound very spiritual to me. But that's not what Jesus said And that's not what the Bible teaches. And if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6, I want you to look beginning at verse 19, some verses that will be familiar to some of us, but very important because they talk about treasure. Verse 19 says, "'Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven.'" where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thrust of these verses as Jesus shares them with the disciples is not that it's wrong to lay up treasures. What he's really saying to us is we need to do it in the right place, You notice verse 19 where it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. We could translate this from the original, stop doing that. Rather, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And by the way, this is a command. It is a present action command in the original language, that means that this is a directive to us. It's a directive to you and a directive to me, and it's to be our lifestyle that we are storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven. See, one of these is a weak investment when we're storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. The other is a wise investment when we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And here's the problem with treasure on earth. If your treasure is on earth, every day you are moving away from it. If your treasure is in heaven, every day you're moving closer to it. And Jesus says that we are to be treasure seekers. In other words, the thrust of these verses, it's okay to be a treasure seeker. In fact, it's commanded of us. And I really believe that deep down inside of us as human beings, there's just that desire to be a treasure seeker and I think it's a God-ordained thing that he's put deep into our heart. And as we live our life as a follower of Jesus, how we utilize, how we invest our time And our talent, our abilities, and our treasure will determine the heavenly treasure that we store up. And so today I want to begin a short series of messages that I have entitled Treasure Principles. And at times we've talked about how we use our time can affect the treasure that we've had. And we've talked about how we utilize our talent and our gifts and our abilities We've talked about those in other topics, but in particular, in this short series, I want to focus on what we're doing with our earthly treasure, the resources that God has given to us, the money that He has given to us, and how we invest those in God's kingdom and how that allows us to be a treasure seeker in heaven. Now, really what I'm going to do this week and the next couple of weeks is share with you my heart. And the reason why I want to do that is really very simple. I really care about you. Now, the moment you get in church and you begin to talk about money, the skeptics begin to say, okay, here it comes. Especially if you've come out of a highly manipulative church environment, you're thinking, oh boy. We're going to talk about money now. And a lot of times skeptics are thinking when a pastor gets up to talk about this subject is, well, the church must be in some sort of a money crunch, so therefore we've got to get the whip out with the people. Or maybe the pastor is bucking for a big raise and so he's going to get his little biblical whip out and crack it over our heads. Well, I just want you to know that that's not the situation at all. Our budget at Wildwood Community Church is in very good shape. Over the years, God has grown us to a budget that's about $1.3 million a year to do all the things that we do. It's $109,000 a month. And we are ahead of our target this year, right now. Now, you know, months can vary but I just want you to know that you, as a body of believers, when it comes to the leaders of this church, you are amazing us at your consistency in giving to the ministry of Wildwood Community Church. And you know what's especially exciting to me? And if you go and you Talk to people who work with church development and facility development. They'll tell you, here's the normal thing. When you're doing a special project like we are with our children's ministry building, what they'll normally say is you will have this huge sucking sound that comes out of your general operating budget, and you're going to struggle. But here we are taking on the biggest project we've ever taken on, and we are meeting our monthly budget. So please keep it up. You're doing a great job. We're excited about that. Also, just want you to know that Wildwood is very generous with my salary, so none of this has anything to do with, boy, I'm hoping for a big bump, okay? Now, some of you who may be skeptics or new to Wildwood might be thinking, well, it has something to do with the building project. Uh, That's why we're having a little series and discussing the whole idea of heavenly treasure and how we're utilizing our money. And for those of you who don't know, the entire project that we're going through as we build this children's facility, and by the way, our dream is to more than double our outreach to kids, But as we're doing that, that whole project and all the parking and everything involved, it's, it's really more than $4 million in some of the land acquisition we had to do. And those of you have been around for a while know that coming up in April, which is a couple of months from now, we're going to complete a three-year period Of what we called our Pass It On initiative, where we wanted to pass it on to light the way for the next generation of believers. And we asked people to give commitments for three years, and we had commitments of $2.1 million. Now, here's what is interesting, even though we have a couple of months left to go. That commitment target that people made, we've already hit it. Yeah, that's something to be, that's something to, to praise the Lord about. And I want you to know now, I've been here nearly 32 years. We have never had that happen before. We have never even hit 100% of what was committed ever before. It's really exciting that we've had, since that original commitment nearly three years ago, we've had 49 individuals and families give to pass it on, some $135,000. They weren't even involved in the commitment three years ago. And about half of us who have made... Pledges for three years are still to complete that, including myself. I haven't completed giving everything I committed to give. And so there's more that's going to come. And some of you might say, well, I guess that means since we, we met the $2.1 million, now we just need to stop. Well, no. Remember, our whole Pass It On initiative doesn't pay for all of that. We're still going to have a mortgage as we complete that facility. Uh, that payment is fully in our operational budget. But our dream, of course, is is to pay that mortgage off and get that taken care of. And when we do that, it's going to free us up for a lot more ministry around Wildwood. There's a lot more we're going to be able to do when that happens. And so, again, I want to say on behalf of the leaders, you are amazing. I mean, you are amazing. Keep it up. There is no crisis at Wildwood thanks to your faithfulness, or I could say thanks to God's faithfulness through you. So why are we talking about treasure principles? Well, I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, which is, I don't know, maybe eight books or so to the right in your Bible. You have Galatians, you have Ephesians, and then you have Philippians. And Philippians chapter 4, there's a couple of statements that Paul makes That really is an expression of the passion that is driving me to want to talk about this subject. And I want you to notice in Philippians 4 verse 16. He's writing to the believers from Philippi. And he says, when I was in Thessalonica ministering, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. You sent financial investment in the kingdom of God. And then he says this in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself. He says, that's not what motivates me and drives me, but I seek, look at this, verse 17, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And that's exactly the way that I feel about this, including everyone. Some of you are younger You might say, I'm still a kid. What I'm gonna be sharing with treasure principles is for you. Some of you are youth, some of you are college age, some of us are slightly older. But this is for everyone when we're talking about these treasure principles and as we unfold them, you're gonna see, even if you're very young, and you say, well, I don't have very much money. It's for you. Trust me, it's for you. And I notice, But he goes on to say in verse 18, he says, I've received from Epaphroditus what you sent, another financial gift that they had sent for the ministry of Jesus Christ. I have received what you have sent. And then he describes it as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see, when we are investing in God's kingdom, I'll put it in a different phrase in our vernacular of the day. It thrills God's heart. I don't know if that even crossed your mind when we take an offering and you're putting something into it that it's thrilling God's heart. You know, if you're a parent, you understand that concept. In the third epistle of John in verse 4... John wrote, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. And I have four kids, and I'm I'm proud of all four of my kids, but especially there's joy when I see them walking in the truth. I felt that especially when we were at the men's retreat a couple of weeks ago down in Pine Cove near Tyler, Texas, because it was there I was able to spend some time with my 28-year-old son, Kyle, who is the only one of my kids who lives out of town from here in Norman. And so we're down there, and, and we're walking together, and we're talking together, and he's just telling me about the ministry work that he does at Sky Ranch Christian Camps there and how he is building spiritual character into the young men that are placed under his charge, and he's talking about... Uh, how much he wants to make a priority of being a husband and having a marriage that, that serves God. And, you know, we're walking, and guess what's happening to Pop? My heart is thrilled. It was well-pleasing to me to hear that. See, those of us who parents understand that principle. And so when we become a heavenly treasure seeker, guess what? It's well-pleasing to the Heavenly Father. It thrills the heart of God. There are several passages that talk about this whole idea of what we do with our resources and our money. Another one in the New Testament is found in First Timothy chapter six. You might turn there with me. First Timothy six. it's a few pages to the right. And I want to look at verse 18 and verse 19. Paul is writing, this is a great chapter, by the way, on this whole subject matter. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 18. Remember, as Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying to Timothy, here's how you instruct the church. Here's how you teach the believing community. And he says to them, verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And then notice verse 19. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Teach them to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous with their money and ready to share, because what happens? You're storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You're being a heavenly treasure seeker when you do that. Now, when we start talking about storing up treasure in heaven, I personally believe it's going to take two forms. And I want to take a moment to look at those two forms. The first form it's going to take is the form of reward, there's going to be reward, some sort of heavenly treasure, heavenly reward that we are going to have. Now, what is that actually going to look like? You know, it's difficult to take you on some sort of a biblical tour of the particulars of what that will be because I don't really know. But there's some things that I do know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when it talks about the wisdom of eternity, it says there in verse 9... Eye has not seen an ear has not heard. In fact, it hasn't even entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. And we talk about storing up treasure in heaven in terms of some reward. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it is going to be incredible. You think about the greatest tastes that you've ever experienced on this planet, the greatest sights, the greatest smells, the greatest experiences, the greatest possessions that you've ever had. And the reward we're going to have part of our heavenly treasure is going to be so far beyond anything you've ever seen or heard about. In fact, it can't even come into our heart to even begin to imagine what it'll be like. And see, here's what motivates me for you. I want you to reap all the reward that's possible. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I want it to increase to your account, you see. Now, that's one thing we're going to experience. It's going to be this reward. The second thing I think we're going to experience as we become a heavenly treasure seeker are friends, friends. And uh, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, because this is such an interesting passage. It talks about this, and I think a lot of times, a lot of times, we lose sight of the fact that this is part of it, part of the heavenly treasure. is isn't just the reward we're going to experience, which I can't even begin to describe to us, but also the friends that will be there. By the way, Luke 16, if you... If you look at this chapter, you'll notice that the context of the whole chapter is on utilizing our money, utilizing our funds. Look look at verse 9. He says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. The wealth of unrighteousness just refers to the wealth of this world. So that when it fails, the wealth of this world, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Notice verse 11, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, the wealth of this world, who will entrust the true riches to you? The key verse is the one that I read first, which is the one that's in verse 9. And I'll tell you, when I first began to understand this, it changed my whole perspective. He says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. In other words, the money, whatever the resources are, however small they are, We invest those in the kingdom of God and we make friends with that so that when this wealth fails, when the wealth of this world, everything that you have is just gone and done away with, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, let me just unpack that a little bit more. What it means is this as we make investments in God's kingdom, as people hear the gospel and their lives are revolutionized, as we double the children's ministry on Sunday morning and in Owana, where the gospel is shared every week. Remember, children are wet cement. And as we reach more and more of them, which are the future of our community. As people are taught the scriptures and they grow, as marriages are transformed, uh, our mission outreaches, as people in Latvia and Brazil and Mexico and Nicaragua and many of the other places that we have been, as they're touched, see, they get to heaven and they see the threads of how all of this worked. And so the amazing thing to me is that when we walk through the gates of heaven, they're going to show up to welcome us in. They're going to say, I want to give a personal thank you to you because that money that you gave to the kingdom of God did this and this and this, and this many people came to Christ and... This group of people got their lives stabilized by the word of God, and we just want to welcome you here. We want to say thank you for being a heavenly treasure seeker. And so even when we pass an offering like we do on Sunday morning, and it just seems so uneventful, listen, I'm telling you, it's going to have ripple effects that we won't know about until we walk through the gates of heaven. And I want you to know, men and women and young people, it's going to blow our socks off. Boom. We're going to go, oh, if only I had understood. If I would only understood. And you see, I long for you to experience that. That's what motivates me. I want you to have a throng of friends that are waiting for you. And I long for you to thrill God's heart by being a heavenly treasure seeker. Now, that's that's a great goal for us to have, but you know what? There are some barriers that tend to keep us from that. And I want to talk about two common barriers to us being a heavenly treasure seeker. The first one, first barrier, is suffering from a severe case of what I like to call affluenza. That will keep us from being a heavenly treasure seeker. And then the second barrier is having nearsighted perspective. We're going to talk about both of those, but only the first one today. So the first common barrier to being a heavenly treasure seeker is suffering from a severe case of affluenza. And what I want to do is I want to give you a a definition of affluenza. And by the way, you don't have to write this down. Uh, This information, along with some symptoms of affluenza that I'm going to share with you, are on our website already. So you can go to our website and you can get all this information right from there. But when I talk about affluenza, I mean this. It is the spiritually sluggish and unfulfilled malaise that results from incessant efforts to keep up with the Joneses and the dogged pursuit of more, bigger, and better. Affluenza. See, the idea of affluenza is that our core heart aim becomes I want to be affluent. Now, just please don't misunderstand anything I'm saying. I'm not saying that this means it's wrong to buy a car or wrong to buy new clothes or wrong to get a bigger house or wrong to get an Xbox. But affluenza is a very dangerous thing. Affluenza is a disease that the Bible calls the love of money. By the way, you don't have to have a lot of it to suffer from it. And I want to give you eight symptoms of affluenza or the love of money. All right? Here they go. Remember, these are all on the website. First symptom of affluenza is a willingness to compromise your values or even violate the law to get more. It's a dead giveaway. It's a dead giveaway. And you know, in our culture, it's epidemic. I mean, if you just read your paper, every single day, people are shouting out, I got affluenza, because they're cheating, they're deceiving, they're stealing, they're shoplifting, they're embezzling. Why are they doing that? They have a severe case of affluenza. Now, there's a second symptom of affluenza, and that is this. In your quiet reflections, you think far more about what you want to get than about what gives God honor. Now, again, I don't want you to misunderstand It doesn't mean that it's wrong to enjoy God's blessings. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6.17, it says that God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy some of the stuff that we have. But you see, this is a symptom that goes on up here in our mind and in our thoughts. In our quiet, reflective time, what do we really thinking about? All the stuff that I want to get, or as I live my life today, how does God want me to honor him? See, there's a huge difference there. A third symptom of affluenza is the susceptibility to choose over-indebtedness if it means that you can have more. And we've seen this also come to bear, even nationally in the news. People have overextended themselves on house loans. People overextend themselves on car loans. They're buying a bigger, newer, fancier car than they really can afford. Uh, Consumer debt comes to bear here. And I read not too long ago about a statistic that says the average person in America today has $13,000 in credit card debt. It's a sign of affluenza. Just keep charging it, charging it. One of the greatest needs in the church today is the need for plastic surgery. And you know what kind I'm talking about. Taking those plastic cards and cutting them up if all we're going to do is bury ourselves under debt. You know, I find it interesting. People today are very quick to criticize our government for overspending by the way, rightly so. But some of that critique, I think, is a little bit hypocritical. I want to critique the government for overspending, and that's what I'm doing? Here's another symptom of affluenza, the booming storage space industry. Do you know that the storage space industry in America last year brought in $12 billion. That is more than the music industry in our country. Now, again, I don't want you to misunderstand anything I'm saying. I'm not saying that if you rent a storage space that you're unspiritual. I mean, in our own family, we've rented storage spaces at times. But what is it a sign of? People are hoarding more and more and I've got to now buy storage places to begin to put all this stuff. It's a symptom of affluenza. $12 billion. You know, you think, what would happen if a lot of those storage spaces that really weren't necessary were just cleaned out and people sold what was there and invested them in the kingdom of God? to be a heavenly treasure seeker. There's a fifth symptom of affluenza, and that is the financial success of others breeds jealousy in your heart. Isn't always a temptation? I don't care what you have. Even if you're a kid, there's always at least one other person who's got more than you've got. And it's just so easy to begin to become jealous of others people and i've worked very very hard on this in my own life as i rub shoulders with people who have a far nicer home that i have or far nicer vehicles that i have or other things that they have my focus is to try to remember to rejoice with them that they have those things rather than to develop some jealousy and really a little bit of resentment that I don't have what they have. There's a sixth symptom of affluenza, and that is neglecting your family, especially your kids in the pursuit of more. You know, things are nice, but there are no substitute for you. And their name is Legion, the number of individuals who, in order to get more, didn't give very much of themselves to their family, and then later on went, that was a big mistake. A seventh symptom of affluenza is quickly turning a cold shoulder toward those in need. By the way, this is a great gauge as to whether or not we suffer from affluenza. You know, we see somebody in need and we just quickly, uh well, you know, I, I don't really need to be involved in that. You know, one of the reasons, I, I'm very grateful for something in my life, and that was, uh, you know, when Janet and I got married, we had nothing. We didn't have any money. We couldn't do anything, you know, uh, Any furniture we got was used furniture. Some of that was given to us. I'm thankful that at one point we had nothing because I've never forgotten what it's like to be there. And then an eighth symptom of affluenza is giving God the leftovers, quote, quote, and often there aren't any. Oh, yeah, I, I kind of, I'll invest in the kingdom of God and, uh, and, and all that, but, you know, I'll do it toward the end of the month after I've done everything else I wanted to do. There's a statement I've really liked that says this If money talks, as some folks tell, to most of us it says, farewell. We're going to talk about that more as we talk about treasure principles. You have just a leftovers mentality. Pretty much it's going to be, goodbye. There's not going to be much left over. Now, I'm going to be transparent with you. Affluenza afflicts me. I believe that affluenza afflicts all of us at times. And it is one of the barriers to being a heavenly treasure seeker. And suffering from a severe case of affluenza, remember, the Bible calls that a love of money. And in 1 Timothy 6, it says this about a love of money. It says, some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, listen to me carefully here. This is very important, even for a follower of Jesus. Affluenza can cause you to wander away from your intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. If you allow affluenza to get its grips on you, you will soon find yourself having drifted away from an intimate walk with him. And if you allow a severe case of affluenza to linger it will lead to pain and to regret and sorrow, and you will reap, and I will reap consequences for it. Relational issues, financial issues, legal issues. Now, go back with me real quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We were there earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 6, because we get some, some of Paul's counsel when it comes to affluenza, or the love of money, and he's talking about that in verse 10, but I want you to notice what he says in verse 11. Here's the counsel to you and to me. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness and fight the good fight of faith. Faith. You know, we hear that phrase, fight the good fight of faith. It sounds pretty exciting, but what does it really mean? Well, part of what it includes is that we, as a good fight of faith, we believe what God says about money. It means in part that we believe what God says about earthly treasure, and it means in part we believe what God says about heavenly treasure. That we believe what God says. Now, as I said, There are two common barriers to being a heavily treasure seeker. The first one is suffering from a severe case of affluenza. The second one is having a nearsighted perspective. A nearsighted perspective about how God has blessed us and a nearsighted perspective about how God rewards us. Let me tell you something. We really suffer from that. And in order to unpack that, you must come back next week. And I just want to say this. When we talk about nearsighted perspective, I just wish I would have learned that when I was about this tall. I just wish when I was younger someone had taught me what we're going to share with you next week. Now, I hope you have caught my heart this morning. My heart is that you would be an active, effective, heavenly treasure seeker. I am motivated because I want the prophet And it increases to your account. That's what's motivating. me. Now, I want to talk very quickly, very briefly, and then we're going to close, about some life response that we can have. After everything we've looked at, here's the life response I want you to think about doing this week, and that is to schedule an affluenza checkup with the Holy Spirit. What do we mean by that? I mean, don't just listen to this, but get in a quiet moment with the Spirit of God. We gave you eight symptoms of affluenza. They're on the website at wildwoodchurch.org. Print them off. Go over them in some quiet time and let God just speak to your heart. But remember this as we're doing all this. How we handle our money can be well-pleasing to the Heavenly Father. It can thrill His heart. I think that's cool. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to step out of this world and this culture and to really get divine perspective. And Father, we would pray that you would teach us, I don't care how old we are, the treasure principles that we need to know so that we can be men and women and young people who store up treasure in heaven in a way that thrills your heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.